My name is Nesha Ruther, and this is a Bond and Grace production. Bond and Grace is a publishing and art house. We republish classic novels as luxury coffee table books, which we call art novels. Each art novel contains three essential ingredients, every word of the featured classic novel, annotations from our PhD scholars, and the original work of emerging artists. Today, I am joined with my colleague Maggie Lamack, the Bond and Grace art director, we sat down with two artists featured in the Secret Garden art novel, Teresa Baer and Brenna K. Murphy. Together we discussed progress in the art world and how art can serve as an agent for change. begin by asking Teresa about her creative process. Yeah, my creative process is, it's really, I would say wild. (laughs) Something inspires me, I'm going for a walk, or I'm seeing some kind of metaphor in nature. And I just like sketch it out and draw it out. And it usually involves people. So I know if like, I'm going to need models, like, I have like this beautiful community here I can call on. So, and then if I need models, I'm going to need like a makeup artist and I'm going to need my flower friends. I need a studio space. And then it's like, oh, then I have to like make a mood board and I have to pick the color scheme and then like think about the poses and the mood. I think about what kind of music I'm going to play when I'm taking those photos, (laughs) you know, it's like down to the very detail. But my favorite part of that is like other people's art becoming a part of my art and that it's our art. And I think that's for me. And I, I think for a lot of people, that's where I thrive is when I get to work with other artists or people, I believe everyone's an artist as cheesy as that statement is. And I just absolutely love working with people and it feels like we're kind of like a beehive, you know, we're making this beautiful honeycomb. And sometimes I have like a vision of what I want and I'm trying to get that, but then it's like, we're all just showing up and that's where like the magic really happens because we're just making art together, which is, I think what we'll change the world. (laughs) It's just everyone making the art that's inside of them. Teresa Baer is a botanical artist based in Portland, Oregon. Armed with flowers and imagination, she believes art and nature are basic human rights. Teresa is an avid collaborator, uplifting her creative community. You will always see elements of nature in Teresa's work because she believes in the everlasting bond between humans and the earth. Teresa strives to find, create, and tell the tales of this magic. She stands in solidarity for the care of the earth, Black, Indigenous, Latinx, Asian, disabled, trans, and LGBTQIA communities. How you guys see at a high level the relationship between artist and art and how your own identities and life experiences inform your work in this way. And so, Teresa, why don't you get started with that? I don't think you can separate the artist from the art ever. 
I think sometimes I do explore like these big ideas, you know, like racism and, you know, ableism and all this stuff that maybe I haven't had as much personal identity with, but I have a lot of empathy with and want to explore. So it becomes art that is my own experience of that empathy, but maybe not the actual thing. And I think it can get tricky because you have to be really careful when you make art that you're not a part of someone's community. And I don't think always we should be making that art that belongs to someone else. But I guess I'm saying I process the world through art and I would go like completely bonkers if I didn't make art. Like if I'm having a bad week, it's because I haven't made any art. (laughs) And I think this world's really hard. I think everyone has a hard story or if they're living life, it's hard. And for me, my way to get through it is art. My art has always come from like a very personal place, like very much about my own lived experience particularly kind of having this nomadic upbringing where I moved every few years from the time I was born until the time I moved to Philly after my, you know, undergraduate college years. I was in Philly for about 10 years and that was the longest I had ever lived anywhere, ever. (laughs) You know, like I didn't have that childhood home with the same house and my parents were still there. You know, I had, I had none of that. So that nomadic experience influenced my art for a long time and it still does. So I think for me, like, you know, who I am and how I've grown up and the experiences I have always play into what I'm doing. Sometimes to the point where I worry that people are like, who cares? Like, I, like, I don't care that you moved around a lot, Brenna. like make art about something that's more relatable. But then, you know, you, you encounter other people who are like, I feel seen. I had the same experience. It's so great to see this. So, you know, it's, um, it's it's a balancing act, I think, to kind of how personal do you get? How specific do you get? How, you know, you base it in your own experience, but can you make it relatable for other people and that they can connect to it on their level with their own identity and their own experience? You know, I think those are all challenges that that we all deal with. And I certainly have dealt with thus far and continue to deal with. <laughs> Brenna K. Murphy explores experiences of loss and grief and their relationship to the body. She integrates the physical act of art making into the art itself through fiber-based techniques such as embroidery, weaving, and lace making. The strenuous and labor-intensive nature of textile work allows Brenna to interrogate how her body interacts with grief and labor, both physically and emotionally. Brenna's work focuses on the use of color in the secret garden and the way it's changing represents different facets of the character's emotional landscapes. Brenna holds an MFA from the University of Michigan and a BFA with highest honors from the University of North Carolina. A working artist for many years, Brenna has exhibited widely throughout the U.S. and internationally. I I actually am curious, you know, how perhaps living in certain places has impacted your work and whether or not you can see specific connections between living in a certain environment and how that is manifested in your artwork. I really miss being around my art and being around my, my studio, like my studio is in boxes all the time, you know, and it's in storage all the time. And I've never just, I feel like when you're actually with the things that you've made and you have all of your little like postcards and ephemera and all these little things that you've collected over time that like visually inspire you and you have it up around you, like something happens, like there's something really important about that. And I don't have that most of the time. 
So that's really tough. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely getting to the point where <laughs> I'm really ready to like set, settle down a bit more. And then in terms of like, you know, the art I'm making in Germany, is that different than the art I would have made in, at the University of Michigan? Or I lived in Nepal for a couple of years. You know, what was that art like? And I think, I mean, the answer is both yes and no, actually, because I am always working from this really personal kind of internal space that kind of stays with me right wherever I am. So that's kind of coming out no matter where I'm, I'm at on a map. But oh, I just want to say, but like in Nepal, we lived there in 2015 when there was a, an earthquake and a, like close to 9,000 people died. And I made lots of art about that. And that was a very specific experience, you know, that happened in a place and, and that directly influenced a whole body of work. So it, it kind of, yeah, the answer is it does influence and it doesn't influence all, all at once. My work is 100% inspired by the Pacific Northwest and flowers and nature. And to me, when I go out in nature, I find all the answers I need. And I think that's true for a lot of people. And that's what I loved about the book was this theme of like nature being medicine and like but also like friendship and how like the garden is so healing and like being together is so restorative. And, and you can see like the garden grow as like their friendships grew. And you feel that here when you're in nature with people, it's just like, you feel the growth. And like, I always say like, I wonder how many thoughts that tree's holding right now. Right. Cause like so many people walked this path and had different thoughts and like, I just feel like we're all feeling that when we're in nature and the Pacific Northwest. It's just, there's so much accessibility to nature, which unfortunately, like we don't really have everywhere in the world anymore. You know, I'm 30 minutes away from a waterfall. I'm a little over an hour to the beach. I can go to the desert. I can go to a mountain. Like there's a 20 minute drive to a forest or 15 minutes to forest park. And that kind of access for me and my family is just like, that's what I feel makes me really rich and what inspires my art. So I'm curious to ask you guys, you know, the, the theme of this conversation is progress. Why is it so important to increase representation among both artists and the art itself? I think it's the most important and beautiful thing we're witnessing right now is the representation of people that have never like, had the microphone or the camera or the paintbrush like holy cow we are seeing art like we've never seen it before like I actually would be so bold to say it's like another renaissance of art happening right now and you're seeing it in a really different format I think you're seeing it on TikTok really quickly you're seeing it in the streets you're seeing it like it's so funny because like everyone's trying to like represent people but in trying to like cover themselves they're actually giving space to some like incredible art and then you have communities of people that are like you know what we're just gonna open our own gallery and we're gonna tell these stories that have never been told before and I think what that's doing is that's through seeing other people's art that we've never seen before is I think it's like making us aware of so many stories we didn't know and we're feeling so many emotions through seeing the art that is being made that we haven't personally given space for. 
you know, to me, it's, it's, it's quite simple in that for me, the purpose of art is to process and interpret the human experience. That, that's just, that's what artists do, right? I mean, from a, a long, long ago <laughs> to now, right? And so the human experience is incredibly diverse. And if we're not making space for all those different experiences, then we're only catching little snippets and we're not learning as much as we could from each other. I'm so glad you said that because I wanted to focus on one thing that, Teresa, you had said, which was grief, right? And I think you know, the the progress that can come out of grief is so important. And it does sort of feel like we're living in an era of mass, constant grief on this just enormous scale. Brenna, I know grief is really important in your work. And sort of the physical act of art making is really linked to that. And so I'd love if you could speak to that. Previously, I was making work about home and loss, right? Sort of a loss of something I never had. I never had this sense of place, this sense of home, and I was longing for this thing that was lost. So for a long time, my work was sort of rooted in a feeling of loss. And then as I started to sort of shift into other topics, it went more directly into grief, specifically because I had lost my best friend back in 2016 when I first started the grad program at University of Michigan. And yeah, so it's like, to me, that all of that work and I think the work that's still coming out of that time for me is about like, it's hard to say exactly, but how our, our bodies and the work of our bodies and the labor of our bodies embodies grief. Like, it's not like, oh, I'm, I, I, I'm in, I'm grieving. So I'm, I'm not sleeping well. And, and like, I have chest pain, like not like a symptom of grief or a side effect of grief, but the, the way the body grieves, I think is something that we're not talking about or thinking about very much. You know, when I did my master's, I did a lot of research around this topic and there's not a lot out there, you know, there's not a lot out there about sort of, okay, yes, we process grief this way cognitively and emotionally, but what about physically? How does grief live in your body? How does it make you move? How does it <laughs> manifest in a way? And for me, the answer to that was always this like artistic labor. Like I just need to make something. These hands have to be busy. They have to be doing something. And that was how, that was my in, intuitive instinctual response to, to, you know, the grief that I was experiencing. Th th well, there was one thing and, uh, you know, we all love Francis and I don't want to knock her, but <laughs> I had, I had issue with, you know, and part of my piece, my works were responding to the way she kind of wraps things up like and by magic everyone's better and I'm like no everyone's working really hard <laughs> you know they're doing the labor of grief and healing and the labor of depression and the labor of you know self-introspection and all these things and that's work you know and it's not like you flip a switch and magic and it's over you know so I I think that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this really laborious process of, of embroidery and stitching, you know, is like, this takes time <laughs> and it's laborious and you're bent over it and your shoulders hurt and your hands hurt. And, you know, like it's not, it's, you know, grief is, grief is, grief is work. And it just, I, I, I had wished that she had acknowledged that in a more explicit way, but of course she is a product of her time and, you know, I can't be too hard on her, but 
I think that was one, my major critique of the book and something I was lovingly trying to put it out there <laughs> with my pieces. How is art a facilitator for change in both of your practices? Or do you see it that way? For me, art art is the facilitator for change. That's how I live my life. That's how I practice in my life. Or that's how I've learned how to survive, I guess. And have had the privilege of making that my practice, right? Because not everyone has the money to buy a camera or has had the privilege to be put in the right spaces to do those things. So I part-time teach middle schoolers photography and we always go over the history of photography and like any major change that has happened in the world involves a photo or some kind of visual of like showing the world what's happening. Right. And then there's people that are making art around what's happening. And you see these like prolific figures making incredible art, singing about it, writing poetry about it, everything. And it's what's telling a story of what's happening. And I think it's what drives people to continue on, you know, because it's just like, oh my gosh, this is beautiful. And I can visually see it or I can hear it or, you know, I can taste it or I can read about it. And then it's a part of you, right? Because you experience it. And that to me is just like art is change. Like when you make the art, you make it possible. I think that's really interesting, Teresa, because I, I feel like what I hear you saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, and what I love is like this idea that it's it's communal and it's collective, you know, like it's because I, I have trouble. I've encountered artists in the past where they're, they're they I, I feel they have this sort of grandiose vision about what their art specifically is going to do in the world. And I think. I don't think someone's going to look at your painting, movie, read your book, whatever, and run out into the streets and revolution begins. Like, I, I just don't think it works that way. <laughs> and I think, but what you say is that it is this, it is this cumulative process, right? Where it's not the one photograph or the one novel, but it's all of these things over time, you know, telling the story. And, and then you combine that with people in the world, their lived experience and getting fed up. And then, you know, these things come together. And not only do you have the people who are living the experience and experiencing the oppression or war or whatever it is, and then you have the allies who are showing up because they've they've encountered all this art that is helping them grow this awareness and empathy about this issue, this story, right? So it's like what I, yeah, I, I, I'm always very cautious around conversations about art and change because I find people slipping into this like, well, my art is going to heal the world. <laughs> and I'm like, your art will play a part in healing the world. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I guess to go back to your art and how you kind of, yeah, use art in the way of representing these greater topics or exploring these greater topics, like with lift specifically. So I would just would love to have you talk about that piece more, if you're willing. In the secret garden, it is the bright blue of forget-me-not petals that bring Archibald Craven out of his deep depression. Forget-me-nots are thought to symbolize true love, something Craven has lost since the death of his wife. Brenna's piece Lift symbolically depicts this transformation by contrasting a vivid blue with black and arranging the hoops in the shape of a five-petaled flower. 
the physical process of hand embroidering brings to mind the arduous journey of recovering from grief. While the blackness of depression is not entirely removed, Brenna's piece represents a kind of balance being achieved between loss and happiness. Yeah, Lift, Lift was a fun piece to make, and it was actually, of the three pieces I made, it was the one that, I mean, from initial sketches, they all more or less followed my initial idea, but Lift changed a little bit from the sort of initial sketch. And because in the beginning, I wanted it to be sort of a straight, like have the hoops arranged in more of a straight line and have the blue kind of almost like a a wave shape. I, I, yeah, putting it in that circle, not only did it echo like the forget me not flower, right? That is specifically referenced in the book of the five petals, but it, it has this center, you know, where, where the blue is kind of emanating from. And all of a sudden, like that was what clicked for me and made that piece like, okay, now I've got it because it does, as someone who has experiences with depression, it, you know, in the in the case of Secret Garden, she talks about it in the sort of the black his, the blackness of his soul, or you know he's just kind of mired in this dark place. But there is like this like little kernel of something, and and I loved this idea of it expanding and growing and lifting out and lifting you out. And so I was sort of combining my own personal experience with the experience that is described in the book, and you know. The Francis so lo- lovingly like uses color, which I just thought was great, and didn't even notice that I was picking up on that until I started compiling all the places I had underlined in the book in one document. And then I was like, "Oh, look at me noticing this thing that I wasn't trying to notice and didn't know I was noticing." I was actually curious what your photography process is around photographing your pieces because your pieces I met in person are just like. So incredible. And like, so I actually started my art career as a photographer. I studied photography in undergrad, not to date myself, but back when we were still using negatives <laughs> and dark rooms and all that great stuff, I left it behind as my primary medium because I loved the dark room so much and the physicality of that process that when it started going away and everything became digital, I just was uninterested in, in continuing in that process. But all this to say, so I have the photography experience to document my own work. It is very frustrating because fiber work is textural. And when you're putting texture into a flat surface, inevitably, you know, frustration will, will come and it will not look quite right. And like, for example, some of my older work, I was doing a lot of stitching my, you know, brown hair onto white paper or brown hair onto white walls. I mean, photographing those is an absolute nightmare. <laughs> but one thing I wanted to say to you about your work, Teresa, is that, first of all, the photographs are stunning, absolutely stunning. And what I love about them is that they're textural, <laughs> which is like, it blows my mind a little bit because they're flat photographs, but they have so much texture. And so it's, it's it, you know, I, I felt like it really fits in with what we're talking about because it's like, how do you do that? <laughs> you know, like, you're creating this texture in this flat plane, which is really fascinating. Yeah, to me, it's like really important to make my own sets or like, or as much as possible. I do love playing with like graphic stuff, but I think when you're actually like making the headpiece and not creating it digitally, 
there's these little imperfections that I think people actually really love and humanize. Whereas when you're talking about AI art, it's like perfect, right? And you're not really getting that like human emotion. We go now to asking the artists about their favorite pieces from their Secret Garden art novel collections. I also really loved making Veil. Brenda's piece Veil is a block of green embroidery. While it may look uniform at first glance, a closer inspection reveals variations in shades of green, celadon and lime, fern and emerald. Above the embroidery is a curtain rod and a gray curtain that can be pulled to conceal the vibrating mass of color or pulled back to reveal its splendor. I particularly loved making the green uh, section of that because I have this embroidery frame where you can roll the fabric so you can do larger pieces, right? But you can't see all of it at one time. And so with the green bit, I was really improvising with how I was using the different shades and the colors and just kind of hoping for the best, you know, and being very intuitive about those decisions that I was making in terms of, do I want a darker green here? Do I want a light? Do I want something earthier, brighter, you know? And, and so that was really fun, you know, like the process of making that was really exciting. My favorite was Zena, the model for Nature is Medicine. Teresa's photo titled Nature is Medicine shows a woman bending among clusters of flowers to pluck a key from the grass. The piece is both a celebration of the healing power of the natural world and a commentary on how for many that power is inaccessible. Teresa recreates Mary's discovery of the secret garden by bringing the natural world indoors and adorning the subject in flowers and butterfly wings, symbolizing her health and rejuvenation. Just because it was just such a beautiful day. Like that was like 20 people coming together and like down to like my little four-year-old carrying up a flower, you know, cause that's all he could carry. And, um, I, that, that photo to me embodies like the human experience of the like ecological ecosystem of like when you let nature be what it wants to be, what can happen, you know? I don't know. I, I feel like it was a really special day. Like just everybody came together and did their thing and holy cow, they brought their A game and it was just so beautiful and we also just had a lot of fun, like lots of giggles, lots of camaraderie. And when I look at that, I remember like, wow, all these people came together and gave their whole day to this, you know, and we made this. What an inspiring conversation on progress and how it is enacted within art. Thank you again to Teresa and Brenna for joining us today. If you are interested in learning more about the Secret Garden art novel and the work of Teresa Baer and Brenna K. Murphy, you can find more at bondandgrace.com. Meet us here next time for more conversations with today's best emerging artists.